Greetings, everyone. This is Eric Stewart from Fishing Fanatics, and I have an awesome guest today, Brian Smith. Brian, he is a Bassmaster Elite Series angler, and he actually has two wins on the MLL, MLF Tour. How you doing, Brian? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing great, man. It's it's great to have you here. And I know you sent over some information about kind of how you got started in the fishing. And I always like kind of starting with this question, kind of just the floor is yours. Give your story about how you got started in the fishing and kind of what that experience is like. Yeah, I mean, it goes way back. But, uh, you know, grew up in California and my dad was always kind of into fishing, you know, and not so much bass fishing, but anything that bit really. And uh, we would fish a lot of the local lakes around my house. And uh, I actually saw a guy catch a bass one day and I was like, man, that was really cool. Cause you know, we would always just, you know, throw night crawlers and power bait for trout. And he was using a lure and I was just totally infatuated with that. I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. So, you know, fast forward a few years, I really dove into the bass fishing thing, got really, really, uh, interested in it did a lot of research did a lot you know spent as much time on the water as i could caught some bass uh, i think i fished my first tournament when i was 16 years old uh, just a team tournament with my dad in northern california did that for a few years did the co-angler thing uh, and did and then kind of moved to the front of the boat after i had some success as a co-angler on the mlf Fast forward a few years there, did the front of the boat for a while on the West Coast, and then moved, uh, you know, started fishing the Eastern Eastern Circuit. So I did uh, a round of the Bassmaster Opens in 2020, did the National Professional Fishing League in 2021 and 2022, and uh, also did the Opens in 2022, the Southern Regions, qualified for the Elite Series, and here we are. Dude, it's, it's crazy. It's I was been diving into it these past couple months and the process from kind of where people start and then how they build up to the opens and then the elite series and all the other tournaments that they're in, it seems like a pretty long process. So how, how long overall did it kind of take you from starting tournament fishing with your dad to getting to that next level and eventually being on the elite series? Uh, let's see, we spent probably 15 years. Um, First, the first tournament when I was 16, and I qualified for the Elite Series at 31. So, yeah, 15 years. And, and you know, there's a lot of guys that did it a lot quicker than I did. Um, you know, we have a lot of college kids that, you know, right out of college, they jump into the Opens, and then they qualify. And, you know, everybody kind of takes their own route to the Elites. And mine was just, it took a little bit longer. Uh, you know, I was always the guy that made sure I was ready for the next the next step before I took it, uh, even if that did cost me an extra year, you know, I always made sure I had the experience and I made sure I had the confidence that I could make it at the next level before I got there. Totally makes sense. So let's, let's walk it through here. Cause I got a couple questions lined up that I think would be good. Kind of see that whole process here. And <laughs> starting out with the, um, in 2017 FLW Toyota series on clear Lake, he actually won that tournament out in California by uh, 10 pounds. And I was doing mm -hmm. some research, and it looked like you had a really good first two days getting 20 pounds both those days. And then the third day, it was, I believe it was like 12 or 10 pounds. So mm -hmm. walk us through kind of the first day when you got those 20 pounds. Was it like a huge confident boost? You're like, man, you know what? I could kind of take a run at this thing. What was like your thought, thought process throughout that entire tournament? Yeah, that was actually, I mean, it was obviously a really special tournament for me to win 
win that tournament. That's one of the biggest tournaments that we have on the West Coast. You know, we have the U.S. Open for one bass, and then we have the Wild West Pro-Ams, and then we have MLF, the Toyota Series. Um, so to win one of those on the West Coast, it definitely uh, was a huge, huge deal for me. But that was a really, really cool tournament because um, I was staying with a buddy of mine, and we were kind of, we, you know, we practiced together. We, we share information and we got onto a little deal that Clear Lake was not fishing very well in that tournament. It was actually fishing the worst I've ever seen it in September. Usually it's pretty good in September and it was really, really tough. And you know, usually that time of year we're throwing spinnerbaits, we're throwing crankbaits, we're throwing, you know, big jigs, you know, power fishing, flipping grass, chatterbaits, everything, all the fun stuff. And they just wouldn't bite it. They really wouldn't bite it. They weren't chasing. The water quality, we actually had a big fish kill that summer, and the water quality was pretty bad. So those fish, I don't think they were feeling really well. So we ended up having to use a Nico rig around that. And I knew that we were going to be probably the only two guys that were actually doing that in the tournament. And that really, like, we talked about it, me and, me and my buddy, we talked about it before the tournament started. We're, like, we're one of us is probably going to win this tournament. Um, we had that much confidence in what we were doing. And usually, like, I am not that guy. I don't, like, I don't have that kind of confidence. But from what I saw, I didn't think you could compete with what we were doing because it was so out there. It was so different than what you usually do that time of year. And we were getting enough big bites to where, you know, you get two of the big bites. Like I got the, I got three big bites the first day, uh, two big bites the second day. And those, those really just carried me, carried me through that tournament. And, you know, from day one to day three, we actually caught way more fish than we thought we would, but the quality, you know, we just kind of weeded through all those fish and ended up with a good quality. And I think I was the only guy in that tournament, if I remember right, to break 20 pounds at all. That's how tough the fishing was at Clear Lake. So, um, you know, I knew once I weighed that 20 pounds the first day, I was like, okay, we're on to something. And then the next day when I weighed 20 again, I was like, okay, I just need to kind of, I need to kind of fall backwards into this one and played it safe the last day and made sure I had my 12, 13 pounds because I did have a really good lead going into that last day and I wanted to make sure I didn't blow it. So we did that and uh, man, it was, it was truly one of the most special tournaments I've ever fished. Absolutely. So when you say play it safe, did you change your approach or where you were fishing or what you were throwing? Uh, no, but I definitely fished um, much more conservatively. You know, the first two days I would fish a lot of new water, uh, you know, and a lot of times it wouldn't work out. Sometimes it would, sometimes it wouldn't. But day three, I definitely stayed on more of the stretches because we're just fishing stretches of dock. That's all we were doing. Uh, just fishing, you know, historically good stretches of docks you know, docks that were not too deep not too shallow kind of in between and i would just wrote and you know if you've ever been on clear lake clear lake is full of docks there's docks everywhere almost all the way around the lake so there's plenty of docks to fish and i would end up you know the first couple of days i would fish a lot of new water which is what i really like to do in tournaments um is always keep it fresh and, and fish new water fish for fish that haven't maybe seen my lures but on day three I definitely settled in and fished more of the stretches than I knew had fish. You know, maybe I picked off the better ones the first two days, but I knew I could go back through those stretches and get a few more bites because all I was trying to do was just get that last day. I knew it was going to be tough. The weather changed a little bit. We had a little bit of a cold snap below through. 
and I knew it was going to be a lot tougher that day. So I just needed to focus on where I knew the fish were and make sure I got bit. Just just get a limit any way possible, and you knew you were yep. good. That's it. Yep. Cool. Absolutely. I like it. Yep. I like it. Thanks for uh, walking through that. And now we'll jump to currently where you're at, which is the Elite Series, and um, a tournament that's probably one of the craziest tournaments I've seen with, like, bags um, in a while is the uh, the AFCO the 2023 AFCO Bass Mastery Elite at uh, Santa Cooper. And you placed second in that, or seventh, excuse me, seventh in that tournament. Mm-hmm. And a couple guys we've had on the podcast, uh, Luke Palmer, Mark Mendez, placed one and two in that tournament. Uh, Luke getting, you know, that crazy 96-pound bag um, at the end. And walk us through in a tournament like that where people are catching these crazy, crazy bass, like six-pound averages in their bags. What, um... How do you stay focused throughout that tournament and be like, man, I got it, you know, we got to get like better quality fish in our mm-hmm. live wells or else like we can't even compete. Like, so what's kind of your yeah. thought process there just to try to stay focused? Yeah. Stanley Cooper, um, it, it was really different for me because I knew the quality that lived in that lake. All you really had to do was generate enough bite. If you can generate enough bites, it literally seemed like one out of three fish you caught was over five pounds. Now, the problem was I didn't get a lot of bites. So the first day I probably got 10, 11 bites, caught 10, 11 bass, and, and I weighed almost 27 pounds. The second day, I only got three And, you know, I, obviously that's not I, – I stayed in the top 10, but um, – you know, it's not, not really what I was shooting for. And then day four, I got four bites, and I weighed almost 19. So it was staying focused and making sure that you capitalized on every bite that you got because you just did, for whatever reason, you just didn't get a lot of bites that week. Um, but the quality in that lake is so impressive because, it, I mean, I'm serious. It literally seemed like one out of three fish you caught. It was going to be over five it was just generating those fights was the hardest thing. So I definitely scaled everything back. Um, actually did a lot more finesse fishing than I thought I would. Um, skipped a wacky rig around, uh, around those cypress trees, just trying to get bit. That was all I was trying to do. I was just trying to get bit. I know if I fished enough trees in that tournament that I would you know, hopefully get enough bites to kind of get me through, you know, going into practice, it was a little different. Um, I, I threw a wacky rig a lot in practice, and I never threw it with a hook because I knew going into this, doing my research, that I wasn't going to get a lot of bites, so I didn't want to burn up those fish. I knew some of them would probably be spawning, so I would just mark every tree that I got bit on. Every tree I got bit on, went through them in practice, and I would get you know one out of two trees that I got bit on in practice, I would go back and get a bite on it. Uh, and then, obviously, I mixed in a lot of new trees, uh, a lot of trees that I looked at, you know, I'd be driving by like, okay, that's a really good looking tree. I'm not going to fish it in practice. I'm just going to fish that in the tournament. And that would de- definitely help me, uh, you know, get to that first big bag. And, and you know, that 27 pounds that I weighed the first day, I just kind of rode that all the way through into the top. And, um, you know, tried to survive the next three days is pretty much all I could do because I knew uh, about halfway through that first day, I would cycle through some some of my the trees that I got my big, bigger bites on, and I would not be able to get another bite. So I figured those trees aren't reloading, uh, which 
was a big question mark after day one. I didn't know whether they would reload or they wouldn't reload. They didn't reload, so I had to go fish new trees. Um, unfortunately, day two, I did that a little bit too late. I ended up getting three bites in like 45 minutes, but I started fishing new stuff too late in the day, so I ended up uh, not being able to fill out my limit. And then day three, I fished a lot of new stuff too and ended up with four really, really good ones. But, um, you know, and then day, day four was just uh, kind of survived. That's <laughs> all it was. I knew I wasn't on much. So I just kind of tried to survive, catch as much as I did. And, uh, yeah, I moved up a spot on day four, so I, I was really happy. But overall, that was a really, really cool tournament. Um, awesome experience to get the top 10 on the Elite Series, especially for my first season with the Elites. And uh, super, super happy with how that one played out. Absolutely. It was cool because I was watching a video right before this of you actually fishing those trees with a wacky break. And you got a fish off... I don't know if it was a bed or just off the tree there, but it was pretty cool to see you kind of bring it in. I don't know how much the fish weighed because it cut to a different one. I don't know if you kind of, <laughs> the fish got hooked weird or whatever, kind of struggled getting out. Do you remember, do you remember kind of hooking a fish weird? Do you know how much that fish weighed? Um, I don't. I, I know there's just a lot going on was, in the tournament, but. Yeah. I would assume maybe it was probably around four pounds if I, if I, it was either four or, or five pounds. It was somewhere in there. Um, I know the the couple that they did show and did post videos on four or five pounds. You know, the, it was it was an awesome fish. Um, I'm thinking of two in particular. One was it, it was just I was kind of excited, so I don't know if they they cut away for that or whatever. But and then the other one, it was actually it just ended up swallowing the hook, so I had to work on it a little bit to get that hook out and make sure that fish made it. And she did. She did. She's uh, she's alive and swimming. Nice. Yeah, that's exactly what I was talking about with the uh, that video. That's cool. And then, um, so I'm from the East Coast, and I know a lot of the guys who listen to this podcast are also from the East Coast. It's always kind of been a dream of mine to go out to California and kind of fish over there. So you're traveling all around to these different places, Texas, New York, sometimes California. You've seen it all you fished all these different places what's the biggest difference from the west coast and the east coast that you've seen yeah, fishing you know, yeah everybody says a bass is a bass that's like the old adage that everybody grew up on is it you know and it's really not true <laughs> especially like tom being from california we have a lot of smaller fisheries but even then with how small they are, they don't get nearly the amount of pressure that the East Coast lakes get, especially that Southeast region. You know, Alabama, Georgia, South Carolina, Florida, uh, Tennessee, that whole region. The biggest thing that I had to adjust to coming from the West Coast was the pressure. Those fish are super, super educated. They are super smart. They know what brand of spinnerbait you're throwing before you're throwing it. They know what brand of chatterbait you're throwing. They know what crankbait that is because they've seen a thousand of them. So that was the biggest adjustment that I've had to make. We we have it really, really good here on the West Coast. Um, you know, Clear Lake, the one that everybody hears about, it, It's I live about an hour and a half away from it. And besides the spring... You know, if you go to Clear Lake in like August or September or October, when it's really, really good, I mean, it, it's it's really good year round. But when it's really, really good, you know, you can go out, it's 20 pounds pretty much with your eyes closed. 
um, whichever way you want to do it, deep, shallow, anywhere in between, you'll maybe see 10 boats on the water. So as opposed to you go fishing in Alabama any time of the year, you're going to see 200 boats on the water. So our fishing is as good as it gets because we just don't have the population of anglers that, that the southeast has, that the eastern region has. So we kind of get these these fish that aren't as educated, and um, you know we get we just catch we get to catch a lot of fish. We're super super spoiled here on the West Coast because of that, and we have a lot of cool diverse fisheries too. That you know we can go. I can go. I live right in the middle of Northern California, right just above Sacramento. So I can go to Clear Lake, which is a natural lake, and that's about an hour and a half away. I can go to the California Delta, which is tidal grass really cool fishing that's about an hour south of me i can go half hour to the east of me and i got Folsom lake which is deep clear water i can go to shasta which is two and a half hours north of me that's deep clear spotted bass. um we have a really really cool diversity of fisheries too which is um you know something you don't get on the east coast when you get in a region you're kind of fishing the same thing in that region you got to drive pretty far to go get out of that that type of lake you know if you go to the ozarks in missouri you're going to be fishing rocks all the time you go to florida you're going to be fishing grass and shallow lakes all the time. it takes a while to get out of those areas california is not okay we can go and you know we could be in two totally different fisheries within a half hour or within two hours of each other so that's the other cool thing that we got here but yeah man we are absolutely spoiled out here on the west coast so out of all those different like lakes, you, you mentioned a couple of them there. Which one's your favorite to fish? I actually like Lake Shasta the best. Um, I'm a big spotted bass guy. I love catching spotted bass. They're my favorite fish that swim. Uh, you know, I love them all. I love smallmouth. I love largemouth too. But um, spot, you know, Shasta and the spotted bass that they have in there because they get so big. Um, they're just, it's a ton of fun to fish. I love fishing there in the winter time too. You know, we're lucky we get to fish year round. So I can go to Shasta in January and it's going to be a li- little cold, but it's not going to be, it's not going to be frozen or anything like that. You know, it'll be in the thirties, but uh, high in the forties, but we can fish year round. And that's when those spotted bass are really, really active is when that water's cold. You know, I don't go largemouth fishing in the winter time. I go spotted bass fishing because I know I'm going to get a ton of bites and, Man, that Lake Shasta is just a really, really special place. It's beautiful. It's got a ton of fish. You go there, you're going to catch 50 to 100 fish almost every time out there. And uh, you got a chance at a really, really big spotted bass. So that's my favorite for sure. Business owners and marketing professionals in the Philly area, Bad Rhino takes the overwhelm out of digital marketing. With tailored digital marketing services, from social media management to SEO and PPC advertising, our expert team navigates the complexities of the digital ad space for your business. Let Bad Rhino lead you to success. Visit badrhinoinc.com and let's take your business to new heights. Bad Rhino, we do digital marketing so you don't have to. So let's talk about the upcoming uh, Elite Series on Sabine River in uh, Texas. Mm -hmm. So this podcast, like I mentioned, is going to be out after you already went there, but going into it, uh, what are you looking for and kind of what's your mindset uh, for that tournament? Man, that's a tough one because this being is the biggest challenge as far as a, a fishery that we're going to have. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with it at all, but it 
basically the fishable water that we have is almost 500 square miles. Like it's insane. The amount of like tributaries, rivers, and, and, uh, you know, you can actually, you pretty much, you go in, some guys go into Galveston Bay to get to the other side, almost go into Houston, which is a 110 mile one way run. Uh, you can run 90 miles up the Sabine. I mean, if you had enough gas, you could go all the way up basically to the Toledo Bend Dam. Uh, and there's, uh, you know, a bunch of water all the way in between. So it's a daunting task to kind of break down. And being that I've never been there before, I'm really going to have to rely on a lot of my research before I get there. Um, I'm going to have to do a lot of Google Earth, uh, Google Earth work. I'm going to have to do a lot of, you know, I'm doing it right now. I'm doing a lot of old tournament results, old tournament articles, watching, um, you know, Fast Master Live. They've been there a few times, watching all those, and just trying to get an idea of where I want to where I want to fish during that. The, I practice because um, it's not a place that you're really able to go run around and fish a bunch of areas. Once you've launched, you're pretty much in practice. If you pick a ramp and you want to launch there, you're pretty much stuck there in that area. Unless you want to go trailer and go launch somewhere else because the areas, the popular areas are so far away from each other. So I'm trying to, right now, I'm just trying to make that, that place smaller. That's, that's my full goal. Um, with any term is, is make these huge lakes smaller. You know, once we go up North, we go to St. Clair. I want to make it small, you know, the huge body of water. When we go to St. Lawrence, I want to make it smaller because again, huge body of water. I need to narrow it down. Fanti, I did the same thing. I picked an area and I tried to make it small. You know, I want them. It's a huge, it's the biggest lake in South Carolina. So I need to break it down. I need to be efficient and I need to figure it out as quickly as possible. So a lot of that, especially with the Sabine, it comes making it smaller via the research that I do beforehand. And then, you know, hopefully I can, I can pick a few areas, I pick the right areas, and then uh, we can kind of, this one's just going to be a survival tournament. I just, I'm in full survival mode, you know, this is the one that gets a lot of guys. So if I can just survive this one, then we can go up north and we can start having some fun. I like it. So when you're looking on Google Maps or Google Earth, because I do this all the time, right? Either for me, it's going to be <laughs> looking for like local ponds and like where to pond hop or different lakes like that. And on a river system like this, that's so long. What are those like target kind of points are you looking for? Are you looking for bends? Are you looking for little creeks that you can kind of go back into? Or um, what are you kind of focusing on? Yeah, there's a lot like, so if you just imagine like, like a circle and then just a million arteries coming off that a million little canals and rivers is overwhelming. And, you know, there's, there's a million bends, there's a million backwaters, there's a million creeks, all that stuff. The main thing that I've been looking for is stability and stability on a river system for me is clearer water. So the cool thing about Google earth is you can go back in time, right? You can get these older satellite images. If you do it on a desktop, you can actually look and go back in time and, you know, maybe there's an image from, so there's a really good image from 2017 on the Sabine River, that whole area. And it actually, when it flooded, 
So you'll see like a ton of houses are underwater. I guess a hurricane probably just hit. A ton of houses are underwater. Like there's a ton of water in that system. I mean, it doesn't need it. You know, you just took a, a, a river and you made it that much bigger. But what it does show is the areas that the clear water is coming in through. Because the whole river is blown out. It's all blowing mud. It's red. It's nasty. But the few creeks that do run clear, it's actually showing that. And that's what I can key in on. That's those areas of stability within that river that I think are going to hold a population at bath. Because one, it's going to have fresh water, which is the most important thing, because there's a lot of brackish water. There's a lot of salinity that's in that whole system. You know, it's tidal. It's right next to the Gulf. Um, there's a lot of stuff that, you know, factors that you need to look out for. And salinity is one of them. You want to be in fresh water. How do you be in fresh water? We have to have fresh water coming in. So you either get as far away from the ocean as possible, or you get into some of these clearer backwaters that obviously have clear water coming down. That's the biggest thing I'm looking for right now. Um, you know, it, it's one of the more obvious things, but it's going to be, it's going to tell me an area that is consistent. It's going to tell me an area that has fresh water. And the other thing with that clear water is kind of like Florida, where you go, we still look for the clear water because that's where they spawn. That's where they're going to spawn. That's where they can make their beds, get the sunlight, all that stuff. So that's the biggest thing I'm looking for right now. It's a daunting tab. There's there's a ton of water and there's not a lot of clear water, but that's why it ends up stacking in a lot of guys in one area. But, you know, it's all fun. I get to research this place and, uh, you know, hopefully all this ends up panning out for me. Definitely hours and hours of research. Hopefully it ends up working out and get a decent finish over there. But, um, Cool, man. Let's wrap it up here. I always like asking, uh, what's your PB largemouth, PB smallmouth? And if you want to throw spotted bass in there too, because um, that's kind of where you like fishing too. So go Yeah, ahead. yeah, yeah. Um, so PB largemouth is 11.44 on the California Delta. I was actually that year we started tournament fishing, me and my dad. Or no, maybe it was the year after. It was 2008, whenever that was. May 11, 2008, I'll never forget it. Uh, 11.44, fishing a tournament on the California Delta with my dad. I was pitching a jig at some uh, Thule's, and she bit it. She jumped three times straight out of the water. It was incredible. Weighed that fish in for big fish, and this was when the Delta was really good. And 11.44, I got second big fish. I got beat out by a 12-pounder. <laughs> oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. To get a big fish... Uh, check in that tournament. You had to have a ten and a half, and they gave they gave away five big fish checks. So it was like ten and a half, ten and three quarters, almost eleven. Then my eleven and a half, and then a twelve pounder. Yeah, it was one. That was sounds wild, insane that to me. Delta. That yeah, sounds insane to me because I'm because I'm from I'm from Philadelphia, like the Philadelphia area, and like <laughs> if there, there's no eleven pound bass around here, I mean I'm sure people <laughs> might run into one, but like. <laughs> That's yeah, insane. yeah, it was. It was. That was the Delta in it, heyday for sure. Uh, but that was a super special fish. Got to share with my dad. All that good stuff. Um, smallmouth. It's probably. I honestly, I don't have an official weight on it. I know it's just a little bit over five pounds. It was at Lake Erie uh, last year at Lake Erie, just above Pelee Island. Uh, pretty cool fish. That one. It was so windy. Um, I was fighting it. It comes up, and I'm down in the swell, and the fish is in the top of a swell, so 
he's like, here, fish is here, I'm here, and the fish jumps, and the fish is literally eye level with me because she jumped out of the top of the swell and I was at the bottom of the swell. It was insane. But that's great, like, fish, and that was super cool. Another fish I'll never forget. And then throw the spotted bass in there because I love them. Um, seven pounds, one ounce. That was in a, uh, it was MLF, uh, FLW back in the day on Shasta. Seven pounder. Uh, pretty cool little story. I'll tell it real quick because I love telling it. Uh, I'm throwing a jerk bait. It's blowing like 30 miles an hour and I'm throwing a jerk bait. And the bigger spotted bass, they like these really long points. So I have the wind at my back and I made about a, gosh, I don't even know. 150 200 foot throw with the jerk bait i mean just way out there and i'm i'm working it along and, and my rod just kind of loads up wow that's weird and i'm just reeling this fish in just reeling it in to the point where i was like my congler asked if i needed a net i was like nah i don't need a net i'm just reeling this fish in like it was just dead weight and it got about halfway to the boat and i was like you know what maybe grab it just in case it might be hooked funny or whatever Reeling this fish in, reeling this fish in. It got 10 feet from the boat. I just reeled this seven pounder all the way in. 10 feet from the boat. He's about to reach out with the net, and it sees the net, and it goes straight back down. It went straight. I was on the front deck, and she went back towards the motor. So I follow her back towards the motor. I'm watching this fish. She's right below the boat on the back, right below my motor, and she's going straight down. And I look on the ground on the console. And I literally watched this fish go from the surface all the way down to 100 feet of water. Watched her on the ground. 100 feet of water in about five seconds. It was insane. Just pull and drag the whole time. I get her all the way back up. This is like, this took two or three minutes just to get her back up to the surface. She gets like four feet from the net again, goes straight back down. This time she went to 70 feet of water. Again, I watched her on the ground. I got her all the way back up. Another two, three minutes, got her all the way back up. She's coming, and I just put my finger on the spool, and I just leaned back, and she slid into the net. Seven one, I rode that fish all the way out to the top ten. But that was that was a super cool fish. I love telling that story because, yeah, you know, not very often you get to catch a seven pounder, and I got to do it in a tournament, so that made it even more special. It shows off the strength too of that fish. I mean, that is insane. You just kind of take off, just be like, oh, net, nope, I'm out. I'm going to see it. No, no, I had no chance in stopping her. She was going wherever she wanted to go. I could just guide her, basically. She was doing all the swimming. I love it. I love it. Cool. I'll, I'll let you have the floor here, too, um, at the end to shout out any of your social medias, um, any websites that you might be affiliated with, too. Um, not kind of let you just let people know where they can find you and keep along with your story. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm really active. I try to be really active on Instagram. That's going to be the main one. Uh, Bryant Smith fishing underscores in between that. It'll, uh, it'll pop up. I have uh, a Facebook page, but Facebook decided to take it down for some reason. So it's Bryant Smith fishing. They said I was impersonating someone. You know, it's just their algorithm being all funky. So I'm working on getting that one back. Once that one gets back, you know, I'll be up there updating that. Uh, but yeah, social media, I, I try to stay really, really active on, uh, on Instagram. That's, that's definitely the best place to follow me. A uh, couple of people I want to thank, you know, uh, my title sponsors, Meridio and Decisely. They're both health insurance companies, online health insurance companies. I actually wouldn't be fishing the elites without them. Uh, super, super important to have that kind of backing. 
if anybody's you know has a small business, that's what they really really specialize in: small business health insurance, gig workers, ten ninety nine workers. They can all help you out there. Again, if you have any questions about that, message me on Instagram, Facebook. Uh, but love to help you save a few bucks on health insurance. Everything's so expensive these days, but really, really couldn't do it without them. And man, uh, I just I appreciate you having me on. You know, I love doing these things, especially new ones like you. Uh, I've listened to a few of yours now and, and you're doing a really cool deal and I really appreciate having me on. Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks for the nice words there at the end. And uh hope to have you on a future episode. Maybe when you bring back a title, we can kind of talk about that too. That'd be awesome. That would be cool. cool. I like that plan. I appreciate it. You just listened to the Fishing Fanatics podcast with your host, Eric Stewart. Feel free to check out our other podcasts and our other interviews on our channel on Spotify, YouTube, and much more. Check out our Instagram page, TikTok, and Facebook as well. 